0: Welcome back to vulture boys casey and i are here today casey hi 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 <laughs> um man i your level
1: have you ever thought of voice acting have you be honest i would love to do voice acting i just can't do voices like real yeah, I, I voices i like, can do like,
0: yeah i i love the idea of voice acting but not as much as like yeah. doing impressions as much as like just being a like getting paid to do voiceovers for stuff. Uh, just like whether it be oh. announcing things or whatever, like you can make so much money doing that. We should, let's collaborate. Can you,
1: can you just this. give me, can you give me a, like an example of you, like if you were going to do a, like an advertisement for Pepsi, is that what you mean? Like, hey, drink Pepsi. Like that, like that kind of crap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's probably not
0: safe. P- <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess I would, I don't even have I I need some uh, I need some copy and I don't have any in front of me so uh, the idea just being like you read stuff and your voice pays the bills it's just a neat idea anyway I don't want to get us off today but if you have uh, if you haven't had a chance to rate and subscribe and or leave a comment would you just take a second to do that even take 15 seconds to do that that's so helpful for us and lets us know how you are experiencing the content and thank you for everybody that's been listening and following along. It's been fun to interact with people and see how this has been hitting you. And uh it's been fun. And today we have a fun guest on the show, Casey. Would you like to uh introduce our guest today? Yeah. I'll let you do the
1: honors. Um I I'm really really happy with the guest we have today. Um her name is Dr. Karen Swallow Prior. Uh she is uh she is a research professor of English and Christianity. Um she's got like 12 books to her name, countless articles and tons of contributions to other books. But the main thing is is she just is I'm going to say this and it's a, as a compliment, but she's she's an animal. She's an absolute like tiger. Like she just goes for it, she delivers, she's strong and she's constantly producing incredible work. And so I really wanted to have her on for us be able to sort of get into a little bit of, um, literature. I want to, that's sort of her forte is sort of the bridge between yep. literature and Christianity. And I know she's got a new book mm-hmm. coming out that I want to talk about with her. Or we want to talk about with her, but her, that, like that, 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 that space she fills that, that, that hole she's doing in Christendom with this idea of reading and literature and how it can actually stoke some coals of our faith and imagination not a lot of people are doing it as well as she is or has the um, the ability to do it as well as she does. And so I think today hopefully kind of is a gift to people and they're pretty stoked on the content.
0: Yeah. And she was so I love she's a fun hang. I loved her. She's fun. She's spicy. We call her KSP. uh, And she's just got a lot to say. And I loved even mentioning some of the articles we were kind of jumping all over the place and she was so down to go. So Yes, um, it's a fun conversation. We'll make sure to sh- copy all of her stuff in our show notes, but enjoy today's conversation with Dr. Karen Swallow- pryor
1: uh, Dr. Pryor, KSP, Karen, oh my goodness, you are here, you're in front of me, and uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. That everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, and I've already told this to your face, but I'm just going to say it again, is you are a massive gift to Christianity. A massive gift. I um, I am so grateful for your time, your wisdom, your kindness to do this interview with a couple silly, silly little boys, but you're here, <laughs> you agreed to it, we've trapped you, You're in our den now and you can't go anywhere. And so I just want everybody to know what we're about to talk about (laughs) and having your presence is just such a wonderful thing. So just thank you again for being here.
2: Well, you're you're very welcome, but you've set the expectations pretty high at this point. So (laughs) (laughs) let's let's, let's hope I... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fulfill them. <laughs> but the thing that was concerning to me right away was Casey was saying, we're, we're not in the same physical location. So we, we we haven't literally trapped her. She's not really in a cave. It's well, just a metaphor of conversation.
3: It's a metaphor, it's a great right?
1: Metaphor. Metaphors yes I'm, like, yes, I'm not trapping women in caves. I hope people know that. Yes, I'm not doing that. Just, it's a, it's well, a, it's well, if you've been on
2: Twitter lately, you know, it, it's hard to tell, you know, when you read what goes on there. <laughs>
0: That's a great <laughs> point. That is a great point.
1: <laughs> uh, we're going to jump right into it, be out of respect, out of time. But um, if I, we've already done the proper intro, Dr. Pryor, and so we've kind of already listed your books and, and your countless articles and all the books you've contributed to. But I would say that you are taking up such a unique, space within Christendom. And uh, a space that feels fresh. um, It feels blatantly needed. And you are really doing this unbelievable bridge between faith and literature and and classics. And um, you being a professor of English and Christianity. And I just find that space so fascinating. So if you wanted to start to sort of introduce this and we can start asking more questions, but uh, what brought you to this sort of Junction of being so passionate about both and somehow marrying these so beautifully
2: Yeah, that's I mean, that's a good question. Um, it's not like something that I set out uh, to do Um, I guess I just, you know, I grew up Um a christian, you know, I, I became a christian when I was very little and grew up in a christian home I also grew up loving books um and reading i always had my nose in a book um and i didn't really know how to integrate those two things though until i was near the end of my phd program at a secular oh, wow. state university like yeah i i didn't really know how to connect my christian faith with my love of literature and books but um by god's grace and through the um conversations with a with an unbelieving uh professor um who introduced me kind of to the christian um legacy in in literature and um church history uh i i i you know, I, I finished my, my PhD having understood finally how those two things go together. Um, and in terms of just like the culture, I mean, I, I think what I love about literature is what it teaches me about life. I mean, I love literature. I love language. I love stories. Yeah. But what really makes them meaningful is, is how they relate to real life. And so the culture part just is, for me, is naturally part of reading literature.
0: So I, now then I have a question, I just have a, a, a sincere, this is not deep at all. How much do you read? Like, do you have a goal of like, I read this much per month, per week, per year? Or like, what is? do you have a vague idea of how much you're reading?
2: I have no idea.
0: Well, what is like a typical <laughs> week for you? Are you reading all the time though?
2: Um, I mean, I, I'm not a numbers person. I've never, ever kept track of anything that I've re- read numbers wise or or whatever um i mean it's hard to answer because i'm reading literature for the classes i teach i'm reading research for the books that i'm writing i'm Mm. trying now and then you know somewhere to read the things that i love to read just for fun um and like everyone else who is a grown-up and works and is also you know become formed by social media i find it harder to read um and yes. so i you know when i was growing up we didn't have the fancy internet <laughs> 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 so, you know and i lived in the country there wasn't much to do besides read and so i you know i it would be lovely to return to that but um you know but then again it would also you know there are other gifts that the the, the world today brings us so so no i mean i am uh i mean i am literally surrounded by stacks of books so i mean i just before this came i had a few minutes between podcasts so like i was moving my stacks of books (laughs) around (laughs) because they get (laughs) you know they they kind of take over so um and and, yeah so so i have i have no idea
0: well yeah but you're reading all the time it seems like is that what i'm hearing
2: i mean i would say not in my life now no because i'm i mean i'm grading papers and i'm preparing yeah. for class and i'm doing podcasts so um so there is a lot less reading but i just finished a book um manuscript that you know for a book that will come out next year and so those are the stacks of books that i have like literally like you know dozens and dozens of books um
0: that i yes and if if and anybody... i'm not necessarily
2: you know with research, research you don't necessarily read from cover to cover you're just like yeah. or sometimes mm-hmm. you do sometimes you do not but um the fun books that I read, like novels, is probably not even one a month that I just am able to sit down and read because I just want to read it.
1: Mm. If, if anybody does follow Dr. Pryor on Instagram, I mean, it is it is a rich photo photo album of stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of books and dogs playing and like that seems to be your main thing but you are constantly surrounded by books it is clear that books have become and reading has become your life i got introduced to you on reading well i didn't know who you were somebody handed me this book um and it floored me it floored me on giving me eyes to see how where i grew up in such a um very very closed-minded fundamentalist church And to read anything outside of scripture or their designated books was almost considered satanic. It was almost considered um, just wrong. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden starting to read Mm -hmm. you and and you talk about reading widely and reading rightly um, and how it can actually spark a greater strength and a faith was so enlightening for me that it truly changed my path of how I read. And I haven't read the same ever since. Um, If I could, I'm going to read one of your quotes because I want people to sort of um, soak this up on Reading Well about your passion and understanding of books. So I'm going to read your words to you for other people. So it's going to be quite uncomfortable, but uh, I'm going to go for it. Uh, (laughs) Here it is. This is an amazing quote on Reading Well that I feel should hopefully just, again, guide the rest of our conversation. But um, Dr. Pryor said, books have formed the soul of me. I know that spiritual formation is of God, but I also know, mainly because I have learned it from books, that there are other kinds of formation too, everyday gifts, and that God has uses the things of the earth to teach us and shape us and to help us find truth. Oh my gosh! Um, so even with that, yes. I would love—it's so good. I would love to be able to allow you to, um, if you could, just speak into the importance of reading. Like, I don't want to villainize, it's probably not the right word, Christians who aren't massive readers, but could you sort of just maybe speak to their souls or our minds or our hearts about if we're missing reading as a Christian, is our faith truncated or what what, what are we missing? Could you sort of speak to somebody? How would you convince them or make a case
3: for that? Yes.
2: So I I do want to say that I'm not one of those people who thinks that other people who don't read our letter or anything like that. I mean, because there are lots of things that I can't do or don't do that are wonderful gifts. Um, but with that said, I do think, I mean, I do think that there is a, a, a special relationship that Christians, um, should have and do have to, um, the written word all, and l- especially literary words. So, yeah. so, I mean, I think that we as Christians should have a sort of, you know, theological biblical understanding of, of, of nature and of art and of animals and other people, all of those things. Um, and that includes literature, but yet there is mm-hmm. still something different about literature because, um, Christians are were, we're people of the word, right? I and mean, yeah. John one one says yeah. that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Um, like it doesn't say God was math um, or <laughs> you know or music or you know. I mean, the word means more than just just word. It means you know logos. It means everything. Sort of the rational logic that holds everything together. But that still there's something connected to words. So when we you know, when we read literary language, language that celebrates its wordiness, um, we are, you know, sort of channeling the nature of God and, and 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 leaning into what it means to be made in his image because if he is the word and we're made in his image, then there's something wordy about us. Uh, and so um, I do think that there is just something inherently significant and spiritual about um words and wordy words
0: and wordy words i like that i like wordy words and i don't mean
2: wordiness i mean like the art of words like really using words in an intentional artistic creative way which can happen in any kind of writing i don't mean just like fluffy poetry Uh, i mean all words just Mm -hmm. you know God created us as, as, as yeah. you know, bearers I, of, of the word, image of the word. It it does seem
1: though, you know, what I think is your strength is you're able to not only offer you obviously um, wonderfully, wonderfully um, have a wonderful intel, intellect, but I would just say beyond that, your your persuasiveness and able to also still have a sense of poeticism to your writing is what I think draws me to you. You write with such strength, um, especially the articles you write, the stuff you've done on abortion and so on and so forth. There's such um, a a wonderful forcefulness to your conviction. And I don't mean that in an overpowering way, but I just mean you have so much conviction written on the page that it's clear as day. And so I think even as a writer, which I aspire to try to be one day, a real writer like you, I just think there's something to that where it's like you know how to put the wordiness in the right order in such a wonderful way that I think people can 't help but feel persuaded or convinced or join in your conviction as you write um, so whatever the wordiness is you are able you you're a master at putting them in the right order um i I am curious if you could sort of speak into this i'd be I've been wanting to ask this to you for such a long time, and I thought you'd be the perfect person to know. With as much postmodern thought or even literature that sort of seeped, or Christianity, let me try to say it this way. Christianity has obviously informed a lot of literature. Uh, Frankenstein, obviously, the creation story, there's so much that's been informed by it. even you know but i would also love to know what has literature or even postmodern thought seeped into christianity so how has for example like dante has sort of informed people's faith does that make sense what i'm asking so would you say that there is a lot of literature that's actually informing people's thought of what the written word is if that's making sense and can you speak into that of how literature is informing our faith both negatively or even positively if that makes sense
2: yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot there. And I'll I will i will try to um kind of center in on a couple of things. I mean, going back to what I said before, um, you know, we Christians are are word, um, we're people of 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 the book, people of the word. And so um it I mean, if we just start with the Protestant Reformation, which you know began centered on the idea of of having the word, you know, uh, word of God available to everyone to read on mediated by a priest and also if that was going to happen, people needed to be able to read. Um, it was the Protestant Reformation that was kind of the what birthed the necessity, you know, the invention of of the printing press, and then cultivated um widespread literacy. So we have widespread literacy essentially because of this doctrine um that people should be able to read the Bible for themselves, um, and understand mm-hmm. it for themselves. And so that changed the world. And that, you know, any historian um, will say that that's not just a christian thing to say that right. that's, that's a, a fact of history um and then that literariness you know so, so i mean obviously before that there were there were you know people like dante as you as you mentioned who were able to to write and and publish and um and people who could read him but it was really more bringing literature to the masses and so um that really brought about much, the modern age um, and with it some excesses um, like the excesses of the Enlightenment, which focuses so much on rationality and reason and, and ended up kind of like squeezing out um, aesthetic experience and artistic expression. I mean I'm speaking in very very general terms. And so then the reaction to that extremism was postmodernism, which kind of rejects um, you know the, the the certainty of enlightenment, modernity, Um, And so that it it actually, you know, a lot of Christians talk about postmodernism as being a rejection of of absolute truth. And, you know, it it can be that, but it also is a rejection of the idea that everything can be explained by reason and science. And as Mm. Christians, of course, we can't accept that. And so postmodernity (laughs) has kind of opened up, um, you know, opened back up uh, what Dante was doing, which is kind of helping us to see how aesthetic experience is mm. also part of what it means to be human, and also a way of knowing things that can't be explained by, you know, a scientific experiment or by logic.
3: Oh my gosh! Yes, go ahead, Brooke. I you
0: know, I'm processing. I'm well. I'm processing that, and I'm thinking of how important grammar and lexicons are to our faith, to our world, to shaping ideas, thoughts. So. How words are one of the most important, impactful things to know, to understand, to learn, to read—all all those things—and you know, kind of make maybe taking that wonderful idea and bringing it down to a space where we can kind of uh, digest it in like practical terms. You you write in very in different forms, and there was one article that I came across, what I which I thought was really fascinating that you that you wrote. Uh, if you don't remember, I'll remind you. But uh, there's this is wonderful article that you wrote, and thinking through. The some of the the problems that we're seeing in Christian culture, even your new book that's coming out addressing some of this stuff. Um, you know, Casey and I have been in vocational pastoral ministry for you know what is it? you were like 20 years I'm like 17 18 years so we're in the space where we deal with so many of the situations the the countercultures or the christian culture the weird stuff that, you, that that people probably experience i mean we're often dealing with many layers of it but you took that idea of grammar and words and you wrote this article and it was it's the scandal of evangelical christian friendship and i found mm-hmm. it really interesting because i think your your argument is really really smart not only just smart but Um, obviously you know that, but, but really just a really healthy way to look at this through a whole other lens, because I agree the Billy Graham rule as an example, maybe we can give a little context, but the Billy Graham rule can both be super helpful. I think in one sense, um, as a principle or as an idea, but I agree once you get into it, it like definitely doesn't help. So maybe could you break down what the Billy Graham rule is for people that aren't familiar with it and then maybe just give us from your opinion a a brief synopsis of that article if if you can from memory and if if you want me to quote some stuff i can
2: yeah no i I remember that one so um and and i want to also contextualize this because it's not just about the billy graham rules about rules
3: Mm, um because
2: because yeah on reading well is which was mentioned earlier is about virtue and virtue is you know virtue ethics is sort of a different a entirely different approach to the ethical than a rules-based ethics because virtue yes you know, virtue you know is is an application of what's wise and prudent and good and just and patient and kind whatever the virtue is in a, a particular situation and that can change we all know that you know like in our relationships if you have children what what's what one child needs and, and wants and desires and receives as love is not the same as what another one does. And so it's just understanding um, what a situation calls for. And that's not situational ethics. That's something else. Um, so, so the Billy Graham rule is a rule uh, that Billy Graham devised for himself. And I think it was probably a wise rule for himself and his particular situation and, and things that happened, But, you know, other people aren't Billy Graham much as they might like to think they are. Um, and so the rule ended up behaving. <laughs> <laughs> it, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it gets applied, it, it, it has various iterations, but it basically says that, you know, a man will not be alone with a woman who's not his wife, I guess, or someone he's courting. Right. Um, which, again, for, for someone in ministry, we all have to be wise, not even just those of us in ministry. Um, but to have a blanket rule like that would mean, you know, number one, that I couldn't meet with my students about their papers unless we had a chaperone. Uh, it would mean that, um, that if I get picked up from the airport, I, you know, to go on a 10 minute, which happened to me once, um, that, that, to mm. get, to speak at a conference, that I had to have a chaperone because the driver was a man. Um, and it means that if I, if my boss is a man, he can't call me into the office quickly to c- consult about the schedule. <laughs> uh, and so this rule, uh, which is supposed to, um, you know, to protect people and to be wise ends up being the opposite. It ends up hurting people and not being wise uh, because it becomes a substitute for real love and for real wisdom. Um, yes. And so that I was writing about that article. I don't know. you know, somebody was in trouble for, you know, violating that rule, I guess. And, um, and, and, and not only putting virtue ethics aside, which is really I mean, there are, are. It's a Christian field of study, but at first, first and foremost, is like a you know classical field of study before Christianity. Um, the Bible gives us a model for how we relate to one another, and that is as brothers and sisters. And I certainly yep. do hope that a brother and sister can spend some time together um, and not worry about.
0: Yes.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: In- I- it worry about intimacy in that regard.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. I
1: I always hear this. And this kind of correlates, but this is something that I'm constantly running across as well. Where I'll talk to somebody about um, I don't know, pick something, social media, and they'll demonize social media constantly, or they'll demonize it for their children. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, it social media can really suck. But I, what I'm hearing you're saying, which I love, is rather than demonizing just technology as a tool, what we should be trying to focus on is better boundaries. Healthier self governance, self governance, self control, or better parenting, whatever it is. So when we constantly just look at the rule or the problem and not be worried about our own virtues and not be responsible for our own, you know, our own reactions to these things, then we are. I mean, are we just problemsome, right? Like we're just constantly making everything else to trouble than other than growing our own virtues and responsibilities or faith, or whatever you want to say. So I, I, I do remember that. And I absolutely love that rule. And I love that you're fighting or at least pushing back gently on that. People need to be more responsible for themselves versus blaming or c- adhering to rules. If that's, am I correct in saying all that?
2: Yeah, yeah, you absolutely are. And I think, you know, someone who might abide by the Billy Graham rule um for themselves like there really would be almost no reason to ever mention that right other than yeah. right <laughs> you know other than let's like demonizing someone else who doesn't or you know right. or broadcasting your, <laughs> your you know, yeah um so yeah, uh, i mean no, yeah, yeah, you know the, I, I wrote about this in a different piece a few years ago like how awkward it was one time i mean I, you know, I, I wasn't really,
0: but what's the story? Yeah. What's the story? I'm so interested. You
2: know, if I, if I was subject to the Billy Graham rule for most of my life, I didn't really know it or realize that I can be that way. I can be kind of oblivious, but I was at a, um, a, a meeting at work, you know, in one part of the building or campus that was far away from another with another person. And I think it was raining and I just offered a colleague a ride. Uh, and it was just, he just, turned me down politely but really awkwardly
3: mm.
2: I mean it was just like you know it was, oh, would have been a yeah. five minute ride you know a 10 minute walk five minute ride or whatever and then I just realized
3: oh
2: oh <laughs> okay <laughs> and, and you know you know he, yeah so I, I mean well, I mean, he didn't need to be awkward about it but the awkwardness made it awkward so
0: yeah yeah isn't that funny I I'm not usually an awkward I'm awkward around Casey because Casey's awkward see like <laughs> well, i totally that makes normal. sense yeah. That makes sense, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, the interesting thing that you said in this article that I that I thought was just a um a wonderful juxtaposition slash hypocrisy, maybe is a better way to say it, is how often are so many of these people that are abiding by this rule also struggling maybe even secretly with a porn addiction or uh their own sexual vices and they're holding this outward um kind of really strong really like clear like this this I'm obviously not accusing whoever this person is of having some secret life but that said holding that rule so tightly but also then living a completely opposite life when no one's around and what that does to our culture and I mean we're just seeing this every you you're writing about it you've done more research I know than than any of us have but the talk to us about the problem that you're seeing of failed leadership everywhere right like And Casey, if I'm running off in a different direction, you just say so. But like, this is something that's so massive that I I think you touch on to an extent, but I'd love to hear your thoughts as somebody who sits in this a lot.
1: Well, I I will
0: just say this.
1: I will just say this before. Yeah, we're running off, but the whole point is just to sort of allow KSP to speak into all forms of life. Um, Karen, are you the one who sort of, did you, did you create this, this. Quote or meme or whatever it is that's all over the internet that I've seen, um, I thought you were the one who wrote it. And this pertains to your your point, Brooke, which is um, be less aware of sheep and wolf's clothing, be more aware of shepherds and wolf's, wolf's clothing. I feel like you yep, coined that. Was that. Me. Yeah,
2: I did. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and that—that <laughs> that that is you. A, I didn't yes. know that. <laughs> that's great, KSP. Yes, but to that point, I have lots of
2: inspiration. <laughs>
1: Well, and that's, that's to the point of what you're asking, Brooke, is, is I think, I think, you know, Karen, you Mm -hmm. are such a proponent for right, godly leadership or the not of abuse of power. And I, I don't want to overstep here, but I do believe, I remember at some point that you are, um, a product of trauma because of these things. Am I right in saying that? Um, no, I
2: mean, I a survivor of any kind of sexual assault um i would consider myself um uh i think the trauma that i have which is you know much lesser is being part of these institutions and and kind of trying to weigh my own um level of complicity or blindness um Mm. and participation unwittingly in um these problems so that's you know that's a different layer but yeah um, I mean, I, I, and I think that, that quote partly, I mean, I, I also have, you know, some years of experience of being um, slandered on the internet um, and attacked on the internet and by pastors. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Southern Baptist and have been Baptist my whole life. So I'm pretty conservative, like person who believes in institutions and authority and leaders (laughs) and so for me this is you know this is kind of an awakening it it is it's not like i was someone who was you know loosey-goosey out there you know um doesn't believe in institutions and hierarchy and and doesn't believe in good leader you know doesn't want good leadership um, and so it just it hits extra hard because these are the things that I believe in, and, and my experiences in the church, um, growing up, you know, for so long in the church have all just been mostly good, and so it took a long time for me to start realizing that when I was hearing stories of abuse and cover up of, of abuse and you know corruption, like I, I'm listening and I'm hearing and I'm thinking these are exceptions, not the rule. These are exceptions, not the rule, and then all of at some point. When do I realize, huh, you know, these exceptions aren't so exceptional. Hmm. So that's kind of the the process that I'm in and have been in for a while. Um, and so, and, and and so again, going back to my personal, you know, so I've been called, you know, for years been called by just, you know, a few <laughs> um, ne'er-do-wells in the pulpit, you know, a wolf, right? Um, and those kinds of things get spread around. And so then everyone, you know, then other people call you a wolf. Um, And then I realized, you know, like, wait a minute, you know, I'm just, I'm just like a parishioner. Uh, I'm not a pastor. I mean, I realize I have a a leadership role and that's grown, but, um, but, but it's really the, the people who are, you know, who are, that call themselves the shepherds when they are misleading people um, and those people believe them, those are the ones that are really dangerous.
0: Mm. (sighs) So tell me that the maybe that where you're seeing some of the like some as you've been researching cuz we see it all over the place and failed leadership is like when any pastors get up to do an announcement inevitably there's 10 to 15 people in that crowd that are that are probably immediately going oh my gosh what did they do right like what who did what and now at this point it's not surprising it's not even it's not even surprising to us anymore we're like oh yeah i figured so yeah. So as you've been researching, can you speak to that a little bit? What, where have you seen some of this um, arrive? I know that even in that article that I was just referencing, you know, a lot of the times we focus so much more on a sexual relationship with the opposite sex rather than a friendship. So we have a lack of understanding within our friendships. But yeah, tell me about some of that. Where do you see some of that coming from?
2: You mean like the, the where where it originates, or where we're seeing? I'm seeing examples of it
0: well maybe yeah some of the origin like where where in our christian culture did you have you been able to maybe identify some of the history of this i think there's some um blanket ideas
3: mm-hmm.
2: of lack
0: of accountability power money mm-hmm. all that stuff but where do you kind of see it the history would be a more clear. yeah
2: i mean of course human nature has never changed and there have always been <laughs> sinners and that's something that people often say but i think that there is something very unique and sort of modern american evangelicalism and you just touched mm. on them i mean we we're, we sort of are in love with celebrity and yeah. so um and, and social media has just amplified that even more i mean celebrity culture within the church goes back i mean it, it, you, you could say it goes back to you know the new testament when they, they were had different <laughs> forming into different schools um of even in the first century church but um, I think most church historians would point to the 18th century, the beginning of evangelicalism, when the celebrity culture started, like with George Whitfield and the Wesleys, I mean, who were, you know, who were, you know, did, did uh, pre- give a, a lot to the church. Mm-hmm. But they also, because they were outside, because they preached outside. Actually, this is in my new book, so I'm getting a little, yes. you know, I talk about this. in my Do it, upcoming please. Book,
3: good, but, good, good, good. Um,
2: Just the idea of preaching outside the walls of the church and anyone being able to come and hear, as opposed to just going to your parish church on every Sunday and listening to whoever was in the pulpit, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's the person who was assigned there. This idea of going to some, the latest and greatest celebrity pastor and hearing him outside and drawing large crowds, that's something that's very modern. And by modern, I mean, beginning with the 18th century. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just escalated and escalated you know here in America and with social media and so I think celebrity um, covers up a lot of sins people people are willing to overlook something or to diminish it or minimize it or excuse it because someone is a celebrity and because of the feeling that being close to someone who is a celebrity gives us that that's just human, uh, but it just is amplified so, many multiple times and then there's you know i and you know maybe i'm subject to that i don't think i am but i probably am but the other the thing that i think of that i try i'm trying to see more in myself is um a kind of naivete right i mean like who mm-hmm. wants to think the worst thing who wants to think some of the things things uh are true <laughs> that have turned out to be true um yeah. and yeah and it's just easy to just Explain things away and try to be charitable. And that's the flip side of reading so much is, is that my imagination is so wide that I can imagine the worst, but I can also imagine like the best explanation. Yeah. And that's yeah. the one I want to go with, you know, because I want to think <laughs>
1: that. <laughs> yeah. That's a very what- godly response, K. KSB. Yeah. Um, so at least what I find refreshing um, after, as I hear your story and I hear your past. And I've seen you repost some pretty horrific things that people have said about you. Um, What I love is you are the minority, especially in the female Christian community, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, which still not only still stayed the evangelical path, but are championing the true evangelical path of what it means to be faithful versus just going, you know what, forget it. Um, I'm gonna go off. I'm progressive. Of this, you know, do that. I'm just gonna leave. I'm gonna abandon. I'm gonna change. But you, you consistently and constantly will still say the same institute that has brought you pain. You still fight for its values and its rights. And I think that whatever that is is so rare. And I think um, I don't remember who said it. And I probably already said it in this podcast, or maybe we've talked about it, or whatever it is, Brooke. But it was the idea that this is what. Catholicism had going for itself. It was so aware of itself. It's so sure of itself, but Protestantism, Mm -hmm. every time there's an issue, we just branch off and create a new branch. Okay. You don't like my sexual orientation. Progressive. I want more Holy spirit juice. Okay. Charismatic, but I love what you're doing is you are modeling what it means (laughs) to actually stay the course of an Institute. You do believe in despite its many failures. And I don't know if you have anything you want to say to that, or if I'm just making an awareness or if I'm speaking out of turn about your life, but I find that beautiful, rare, and probably extremely challenging.
2: Yeah, it's definitely challenging. And, you know, it is, I can see how it's, it's, it's a compliment. Um, And at the same time, I can see how someone else would say, you know, like, I don't want to err into being stubborn or refusing to see things that I, don't see or haven't seen yet so it really is a tricky balance i mean but i do think part of it i actually had a conversation recently someone made an appointment to call me someone younger uh and just kind of ask me why i stay how i've stayed and and specifically meaning like you know conservative evangelicalism not just and and i said you know i think part of it is what i said before is that like for one thing i'm you know i'm older than most of who are going through this and i have that good history and I've had, but I'm also a very, um, you know, I'm just, God wired me to be very reflective and self-reflective. And so uh, while I do have blind spots and while I'm learning, um, I've never really, something. Um, mm-hmm. and and, and mm-hmm. what I hear, what I hear from a lot of ex-evangelicals or, you know, people with, with similar terms, um, and I started noticing this about 10 years ago is, is people, you know, them expressing like, well, I never... I just accepted this, and I never questioned it and and I was just thought, hmm, okay, <laughs> I guess that would explain it, but I've just never been that way. I've always questioned <laughs> so um so that that's you yeah, know, questioning all the way like every day, all the time, is what helps make sure okay, this you know i I'm, I'm still here, I'm still this so what I hope you guys are. so um yeah, so far <laughs> so, no yeah.
1: and that's great and 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 I would love if that could even continue more into um your upcoming book, by the way, the cover is unbelievable. I'm obsessed with your cover. It's so fantastic. Oh. It's so nostalgic. It's so fresh. Um, the evangelical imagination, mm-hmm. you said it's coming out next year, but, um, if you want to just sort of give an idea of what this is and what you're championing, we are stoked. I am so stoked on this book. Um, and so, yeah, I want to just give you the floor and be able to sort of make a pitch for this book. And then we kind of want to talk to you about that for the next few minutes, if we can.
2: Yeah, no, I do, and this is actually the first podcast where I'm going to be <gasps> talking about it. So, yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> Are you serious?
0: Yeah. I mean, I have arrived.
2: People ask me what I'm working on, and I've said it, but I've not yet done a thing where I'm like talking about it. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, we so, win. We win today. This is win, it.
2: You win. <laughs> we um, win. Just, you might just have to rein me in here in a few minutes, but um. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> um, and the sub. So the, book, the, book, the book is titled "The Evangelical Imagination: How Stories, Images, and Metaphors Created a Culture in Christ. Okay, so it's not really. Somebody hear the title and they think it's like about Tolkien and Lewis. It's not. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. it's a, <laughs> by the way, we're not evangelicals anyway, but, um, <laughs> but it's really for anyone for anyone who knows um, who Charles Taylor is and what yeah. he says about the social imaginaries. That's oh. what it's about. Yeah. Big fan. So basically, and I'll explain briefly. So, so a social imaginary is 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 a sort of a, a collective pool of shared images, ideas, stories, metaphors that 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 are at the precognitive level level. Um, they're the things that that sort of drive us as a culture or a subculture, um, and we don't necessarily think about them. It's like the things that we think of that constitute the good life, but they aren't even necessarily conscious but They're what drive us to buy a certain thing or do with, pursue a certain thing. And so what I do in this book is I identify what I see as sort of the main ingredients of the evangelical social imaginary um, and going back, you know, to the 18th century. And so, wow. uh, and and the whole idea is to not just identify those, but to talk about why they are part of our imaginary and why they're good but also why they've become, you know, corrupted or excessive or dangerous because we no longer examine them. they become underlying assumptions.
3: Hmm.
2: So, for, so I have, for example, a chapter, a later chapter is on empire.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so empire, you know, we have a long history of imperialism and colonialism and so forth. But eventually, you know, that's that, that's translated into a, a similar mindset of evangelicalism. Oh. Like we don't have to be mm. out taking an army to conquer a land to have an empirical mindset. We can actually like just be, you know, little empiricists in the way we try to dominate one another or our church. Mm. So that's so. So that's like that's one chapter is on empire. An earlier chapter that you know there's a lot of church history there too is uh, you know an early chapter is on conversion. And I taught, you know conversion is like super important to evangelicals. And I give the history. The reason why it was important is because in England where the evangelical movement started, nobody was converted. They didn't ha- or they didn't have to be converted. If you were born in England, you were a member of the Church of England.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. No conversion right. You were just a, you were a Christian. I mean, unless you happen to be part of a different population. And so evangelicals recovered this idea like, no, you have to have this individual conversion experience with Jesus Christ and claim, you know, be a Christian. And so that was really important. And that has been important to evangelicalism all along. And that's one big reason why I'm still an evangelical, because I do believe we must be born again. And it's not something that you're just, you know, born into. But when we emphasize that so much, And we sacrifice discipleship and sanctification Mm. because we're so focused on conversion. Mm. This is part of what's created the crisis that we're in. So.
0: Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. Can you say that last part one more time? Say that last part one more time though, because that's really important that we focus so so, much.
2: So we do focus on conversion for historical and biblical reasons. Um, But we also we've gone so far in it that when we have like these mass rallies, you know, or crusades, or invitations to the altar, and we count the number of conversions or the count the number of hands raised, but we don't count the discipleship. You can't really count discipleship yet. That's actually more important.
3: Yes, far more important. Get this,
0: Casey's raising his hands with excitement.
3: It's charismatic. (laughs)
1: I knew it. I I, thought you were speaking in tongues. I knew it. I just want you to have a pulpit right now. Yes. Yes. We are. It is. We are counting the wrong thing. We are counting the wrong thing. And, and that maybe the that's coming to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier with celebrityism and that, that we're just constantly looking at the way we would look at a concert or, you know, the way we would look at any production is just by who's putting butts in seats and not who's actually putting their faith into action. And that gets me jazzed. Oh my goodness, that gets me jazzed. I saw in the description of your book that you also are are referencing a lot of art. Uh, And and one of my favorite books of all time is Francis Schaeffer's, How Then Shall We Live kind of a thing. And he constantly talked about art and its interplay into Christianity. Is that something? Because obviously I haven't read the book, it hasn't come out, but is that what you're kind of doing as well? Referencing old, okay.
2: Yes i i mean i'm referencing like literature and pop culture yeah um and but i also but some artworks and so i actually have um uh you know in in the middle of the book are 16 pages of color yes. art or culture some paintings from the time and photographs and um and and you know i have a whole section on kit so i have a piece of you know, kitsch is like cheap sentimental art, and how we just—I yeah. have a whole chapter on sentimentality, so yes, um, which is another characteristic of the evangelical imagination. And so, yeah, so I reference art, good and bad. Whole section on Thomas Kincaid and, and Walter um, Solomon, who painted the famous head of Christ. Oh and that's God. why that the picture on the front is not a Solomon because because those rights are hard to get. But it, it is a, another painting that it it's kind of has that same aesthetic of that sort of sentimental white Jesus. It's very comforting, but not really like the real Jesus.
1: I love that you have Mm. something on Thomas Kincaid. Oh my gosh, I love it. The painter of light. (laughs) (laughs) Always painting heaven in every single every (laughs) single image. Thank you, God. Oh my goodness. Um we I don't want to take too much of your time. We've already taken forty five minutes of your time. There are a few things I would love to obviously just get some some quick hits. Um, You've given us so much already. Um, If you could just tell our readers when your book actually does drop. I I didn't think I saw a release date unless I missed it.
2: No, the the release date um, is August 8th of next year, 2023, um, but it is available for pre-order and pre-orders really, really do help. So I'll I'll just put that plug in
0: yeah yeah absolutely yes and casey you said you said readers so i just want everyone to know your listeners oh and casey said <laughs> readers because he's Sorry. because he's such he's in the author no you're in the author dude this is great i'm just hoping slip. if anybody misheard yeah, yeah. He, he, i'm just excited with all the love he's gonna write things for you
1: yes <laughs> i'm just excited um there's a couple other things like obviously This is stuff I've been dying to ask you. I'm going to do it on a podcast, but I would love how you pick your commentaries. Um, Listeners, if you don't know KSB, you do these unbelievable, like, Commentaries on classic literature and help sort of again bridge between that and the way we are to think or even faith. I just want to know how you pick them because I'm wondering and and secretly hoping is if there, there ones coming on Bram Stoker's Dracula maybe or are you going to do anything on Melville or anything like that? I just want to see your take on this stuff. But anyway, if you want to speak so, to
2: that. that, that series is done. That was a six-volume oh. series. I, I mean, I could always maybe do some things in the future if I live long enough. Um, but I basically. <laughs> the works that i love the most and i'm, I'm a british okay. lit person so there's really there's only one american novel in there also they had to be things that are in the public domain um just, oh, right. you know it's hard to get copyright so you know so that that puts out a lot of you know eliminates a lot of more contemporary works and so i but i pick i pick the works that i know and love but also ones that i think really have something important for the church today um so for example I knew I'd do Jane Austen and I chose sense and sensibility because I think that this tension that we have between emotion and reason, which is kind of roughly what sense and sensibility mean uh, in that context, like that's something we we struggle with in the church. So many people want to strive toward one and leave out the other when what Austen shows in that novel in a very humorous way is that, you know, we really need both. We're people, we're creatures of sense and sensibility of reason and emotion. So Mm. yeah.
1: And you, and you did Frankenstein, which is uh, something so dear to me. Um, and I might be burying myself here because I get a lot of flack for, and you, you, you follow me on Instagram. So you've seen, maybe you've seen some of my posts. I get too much flack for, um, leaning into the macabre. And so, uh, would you consider Frankenstein horror? Um, I mean, maybe some people would see it that way, but I
2: think most people who haven't read Frankenstein don't really know what it's about, I mean it is yeah. as you know, it's a very deeply theological work, but yeah, there's a lot of you know I mean bringing corpses back to life, a corpse yeah. and pieces of a human being back to life is very macabre um but uh <laughs> yeah, I don't know i mean there, there's people need to read this stuff to understand what it's actually doing um yeah. and it's not just it's not just being macabre for the sake of being macabre, it's actually. You know, I mean, we are. You know, we are. We are. The the fall means death. So if we yeah. can't um, grapple with that, um, whether it's in Frankenstein or Everyman or you know any any medieval literature um, or even you know Monty Python, bring out your dead. Yeah. I mean, what a, you know, we're <laughs> <laughs> <they're> denying <laughs> our our mere humanity. Right? Okay. Well, so bring oh, it, bring man, it
0: what a gift! What a gift! You've, you've heard <laughs> it here
1: first, folks. I just want to put it for public record, and people can leave me alone. Is Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor likes and reads horror. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. I'm just saying it. It may not have been exactly what she said, but I'm going to quote her that way and feel free to re-quote me. Thank you. No, That's it. We're going to end the conversation. That's it.
2: I, I, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go further. I talk about this in my first book, Booked. Um, I mean, I fell in love with reading. Well, I already was in love with reading, but at one stage in my reading as like an adolescent, um, I was so into Stephen King and he is really yes. an amazing writer. Yes. Um, and so I give Stephen King a lot of credit for how I think about and engage with, engage with literature today.
3: So. Wow. And, and also, wow. You're,
1: here's what I have to say. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just want to Enjoy say it. this because you're also, I believe if I'm looking correctly, you're also a Cormac McCarthy fan. Are you a Cormac McCarthy fan? Or at least yeah, you talk I, about I, him? I, I'm
2: a, yeah, I haven't read a lot of his, I, I actually just ordered this new novel, but like i love the road yes. um yes. and yeah yeah and so and, and blood meridian i'm still i'm still reading i uh, yeah there's like i mean yeah i think i got lost in that somewhere but i'm i'm finishing it yeah so i yeah i love
1: yeah and he's i love and the his, road. Yeah. his stuff is so dark i don't think people realize with blood meridian i mean he leans so much into dark, horrifying Western. So yeah, you, you and I have very similar tastes. Well, I mean, I guess everybody has a taste for Stephen King and Cormac McCarthy. They're the greats, but, um, even in, in closing Brooke, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of wrap it up with a final question unless you have anything else. I'm sorry, Brooke, I've been cutting you off a lot.
0: I just wanted everyone. Oh man. No, the, I'm just loving this I'm, this is so fun to, I'm learning a ton. Um, the evangelical imagination. I'm just saying everybody pre-order it. Do, yes, pre-order. Do your best to go right now, pre-order
1: it. But what's your final, wrap us up, Casey. Th- this is what, This is what I'd love to know. You probably get asked this all the time, but I think it's important for our conversation. Beyond the Bible, what is your canon of must reads? Well, um, now I'm going to shift,
2: you know, from McCarthy and Stephen King to Jane Eyre. which I did do an edited volume on. I think Jane Jane Eyre is probably, for anyone who is a Christian and wants to develop literary taste and imagination, Jane Eyre, with my guide, is the way to go. Jane Eyre is not like a sappy love story. Jane Eyre is the story of the modern Christian soul trying to remain true to herself in a nominally Christian culture. That's what it's about, and everyone should read it. So I'm yes. gonna go Jane Eyre, and and then I mean Charles Dickens, like he's yes. just amazing. So anything about Charles Dickens, my favorite is Great Expectations. Um, and um, yeah, I mean I don't, I'm well, a British flip person, so that's going to be my bias. And um,
1: I read I don't Chris, know, Christmas Carol is my favorite novel um of all time and that's christmas christmas horror for the one i will cry every time i read it every christmas and i cry every time and it is christmas horror and it's unbelievable
2: it's amazing so that's an excellent recommendation i second it
1: oh what a book what a book of i mean again you could just probably rip it apart in the most beautiful way of pulling all the christian themes of transformation and redemption out of it and generosity but what a powerful read um doctor prior yeah please in
2: there, since that's probably your audience you know so <laughs>
1: it's great
2: i would say like the lord of the flies the lord of the flies yes. and yeah. 1984 are okay. also like it's really good good books for christians to read i think anyone to read but yeah
1: so refreshing amazing yeah. um KSP, again, I've said it, um, I'm your biggest, I'm literally fan, fanboying right now over you. I'm such a fan. You are such a gift. I'm going to keep pounding that, that everybody needs to listen to your podcast, buy your books. If you drop an article, people need to read it. Um, Obviously, you're not going to, but please don't stop what you're doing. You are um, an absolute light in darkness. So we are so eternally grateful, literally eternally grateful for the work you're doing. So um, on behalf of this podcast, myself, and I'll speak for Brooke. Thank you, thank you,
3: thank you. Thank
2: you.
0: KSP, man. KSP.
1: She's cool. I uh she's 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 too cool, um, and she's cooler than she knows, and that's what makes people cool is they don't know they're cool. You know what I mean?
3: Oh, a- so she doesn't absolutely.
1: know how cool she is.
0: Oh, she said a couple things that I have to. Also, oh, you go first. You go first, gentlemen. A gentleman always
1: lets another guy go. No, first, no, go. no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Go. I, I can remember mine. I've already been. I was just going to say. Them. I was just going to say. It, too bad it's a podcast. But if somebody has a chance to Google her, will also see she's a pretty snazzy dresser she 's got a rad style, yes. so she's just extra level cool anyway, go ahead she
0: is I totally agree with you um i yeah it's always incredible to meet people that are in some of their later years of life continuing to educate themselves, being constant learners, thinking deeply, thinking widely, not not uh you know kind of getting stuck. they just keep going it's so inspiring, but she mentioned two things she said that um, any of stephen king 's work is interesting. And I just came across uh, an article reading about him the other day of how he puts out so many books. I don't know what the number is of books. Do you know how many yeah. books he's written? What's
1: the number roughly? Uh, written, written. I don't know. Uh, like published, um, books. but. I, oh, dude, I mean, I, I have no idea. It's he. He does like sixteen a year. So I mean, it's insane. Maybe thirty. He's stupid. Well, the reason
0: I'm saying that is because we're talking about literature and we're talking about the reality of. The importance of learning and reading, and, and almost you know writing as well, and so I was re- I, you know I was uh, reading about this, and he was basically saying that he has this process every single day that he commits to, where he uh, he basically yeah. uh, works three to four six pages, yeah, six pages a day. So you've heard this, six pages a day, regardless, does it every day. And between exercise and uh, that, those are two things he does every day. And I just realized the power of just like, you know, you've heard of things like the power of 1% or whatever. And so many people, that's just one of the smartest ways to do it. You're chipping away at this craft and look at how much it builds up when you can build this into your repertoire every day. So as the first thing I wanted to mention just as a like, aha, which is fascinating. Do you read much of Stephen King or, or are you like, where
1: do you land with him? Oh yeah, big Stephen King fan. Um, I've read pretty much all of his classics. Um, I do. I've read some of his more modern stuff. The he had a little bit of a lull that I wasn't a big fan of, but then he came back pretty strong with The Outsider, which was um, an unbelievable book, and later became an HBO series. But big fan of Stephen King. He's obviously a king for a reason. Well, he yeah, um, he, he'll go down as literally one of the greats. Yeah.
0: Well, he's written so far, published sixty-five different novels. Sixty-five yeah he's that's insane
1: yeah and 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 not, and not just 65 novels 65 novels close to like a thousand pages each almost like it is 12 1700 well, pages that, something that have stupid. become
0: all of those um, crazy movies right like how yeah like the so dude's mo- loaded so, but, so, but, so he's you, so rich so <laughs> so you got that but then the other thing i was going to say is you know you were talking about um charles dickens uh that whole thing and yeah. Did you watch Spirited? Now out on Apple TV. Have you have you watched this? We're sponsored by Apple TV. I
1: haven't. I haven't watched Spirited because we don't watch Christmas movies until like December 1st. Everything in our house is still uh, no Christmas mode until December 1st. Got it. So all of our stuff comes up then. But, but I know it's a Christmas Carol tale and I love all the Christmas Carol tales from Muppet Christmas Carol to that new horrifying one and Hulu that came out a couple years ago. So I'm excited to see it. I'm a huge fan of Christmas Carol renditions.
0: Okay. Okay. So that's good to know. Um, we're, we're pretty, uh, we wait till the day after Thanksgiving. So wherever that falls. So we're a couple days earlier than you, but uh, I haven't seen all of it, but I, I feel like you'll, yeah, I just, I was like, Oh, this is something I think Casey might like. So um, dude, that's great. Well, yeah, I'm excited. But Karen, what a gift she was. Thank you for connecting us all together. And man, I'm, Thankful for what she's doing. Pre-order her book if you're if it was at all interesting. Pre-order your book, her book. That's going to be a huge uh, help for her, but also really fun when it comes out. I, I just wish it's so hard when you have to wait so long. It's so good. It's delayed gratification to the max, like nine months. or Yeah, month. it's
1: pretty far. Yeah, it's pretty far. But it's pretty far. But I do think her book's probably going to cause some waves, and in, in the best way possible. I think her book's going to. Um, I think it's going to be a sword from what I've seen and read of it in, uh, in the best way possible.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it it, fascinating individual. Let's, let's decide to stay that way for the remainder of our life. Constant learners that, that piece, you're just staring at me like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) You're just looking at me. Um, I have a a question for you. This is a off topic question, but so you have a beard, it's getting bigger do you you have and you have cheeks on your face do you shave do you like trim these cheeks or like do you line it up or how do you do it because that's a whole thing you know there's a world of like you know you you get the line yeah like let me look closer now yeah no i don't think you do well Well, now that i can see i don't
1: normally i don't i don't normally do it i normally leave it uh raw um but i actually did it recently um, just to give myself a little fresh. So you want to know something exciting? I'm doing. Yes. January first, I'm shaving everything, and then I'm I'm gonna take a photo a day and let it all grow and not touch it. For how long? I'm not gonna trim as long as I can go.
0: Now we need to have an honest conversation. What about eyebrows? Are you gonna separate church and state? Or are you gonna let those touch and get together?
1: I've never. I've never. I've never had any issues with my eyebrows. I've never trimmed my eyebrows once. That's other people's issue. I've got perfect Jack Nicholson eyebrows. They're gorgeous. Dude, my eyebrows are perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Eyebrows.
0: You're full of crap, man.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? Look at these beautiful uh, V, like V-shaped, you know, upside well, down mean, V. They're I'm gorgeous. I'm not going
0: to disagree. They're not hideous, but I mean, Jack Nicholson, that's like next level. Well, I, You know what? Next time we're in person, I'm doing an up-close look on those brows, and I'll let you know. I'll I'll be honest with you. I'm, no one else is going to be honest with you. Your wife's been lying to you. I will tell you, are those Jack Nicholson brows or not? <laughs> okay. All right. That's fine. I believe it. So wait, I have a, so no, no shaving your head either
1: no I'm gonna and I am balding like crazy so it's gonna be gross like I'm going and my hair up top is so wispy like a like a fairy fart you oh. know what I mean and my beard is so bushy and red and gray and black and white and like I've got a santa thing it's gonna be it's gonna be absolutely vomit material my face will be so bothersome <laughs>
0: but I have to ask the question where does this come from what so give me the why behind that why are you doing that
1: Here's the, here's the funny part. Why not? (laughs) Well, um, I have no job. I have, I have no job where people need to see my face. I might as well exploit and see what I can do. I've never just let it go. Like I'm looking to be like Hagrid from Harry Potter by June. So, so you're, so you're like
0: legitimately talking about, you know, almost a year, like a year or more potentially?
1: I mean, the minimum, goes a year, but my wife doesn't think I'll make it three months. So. How do you feel about having no, how
0: how do you feel about having that much facial hair and then not having any at all? Is it gonna just
1: make you feel? You're gonna laugh because yeah, my, my head looks really small. So I get made fun of for my kids a lot and my wife, because when I actually trim up, my head looks like a teeny little turtle butt dude it is teeny it's so small I got a small head
0: <laughs> oh well Casey uh, how are you ta- how are we taking this how are you taking us out today how are we gonna end this today
1: well maybe we should just end it with um, what we ate for Thanksgiving and then um, and then then that's it so you you tell us what you ate for Thanksgiving. This was the first year that my wife
0: has been down with us doing a full Italian Thanksgiving. All Italian food, to the max, no turkey, none of the traditional stuff, all Italian food. I was so happy, very happy.
1: Yeah, big middle finger to the turkey. I like it. How how about um, you? We didn't do a turkey either. We don't do traditional Thanksgiving food. I think that food tastes like buttholes i'm not a thanksgiving guy at all so uh brooke's not happy with my word choice i just think he's saying nope he's not
0: i'm just cringing he's not
1: happy with my he's cringing
0: keep keep going i'm just listening i'm just cringing and listening (laughs) okay that's all
1: you do is you cringe and you listen bro (laughs) i don't cringe that's not the only thing i do so
0: uh, not Thanksgiving food. So what'd you guys do?
1: We we did uh, ham and um, uh, mac and well, I guess that's a little traditional mac and cheese. Well, I'm trying to think what else we did. We did some other non traditional stuff, and I cannot remember for the life of me. Just some craft peanut butter and jellies. Craft, just craft, craft mac and yeah. cheese. <laughs> Who's got the craft? I got seven
0: boxes yeah. for this <laughs> meal. Come on over,
1: <laughs> dude. Up. I, I love mac and cheese. Oh, you can I tell just- by the size of me. I love it.
0: Hey, wait! But what? Last thing I all right. I'm gonna we're
1: gonna go out on. Oh no! I just have to say. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I need to address the problem of the last interview that you did, where I wasn't present. I was present for the beginning, but not for the interview. Oh shoot! Nope. And you did the whole outro without me, and I have to say, when I finally got the audio and started listening, I was laughing out loud so hard. I it was really hard for me to keep composed. It was. So funny. I feel like you should just continue to do these by yourself because I think they're a lot better when you're just talking to you about what you think we would be talking about. I think that's a much better medium. <laughs> this is what I think he'd I say. Did, I
1: did try to think, what would Brooke want to say? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to do that.
0: Oh, dude. Well, Casey, great to see you. I think, yeah. Oh, did I cut you off again? Man. Was, I love you, Brooke. I love you too. Uh, how are we ending?
1: I'm gonna go out and make macaroni and cheese noises. Okay. I'm stirring the mac and cheese. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye, Brooke.
3: Bye.